Somewhere about the 1950s or 60s, a new idea was born, the generation gap. And nowhere was this chronological chasm between parents and teens more apparent, perhaps, than in the area of music. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. We are so glad that you have joined us today. Well, most parents these days have grown up with music and entertainment as part and parcel of our lives and even our sense of identity. Unlike perhaps the battles of yesteryear, parents and their kids today may even be able to share some musical interests instead of fighting over them. Still, you know, there comes a day in most parent-teen relationships where the younger generation gravitates toward musical interests that seem to us oldsters like they were beamed in from an alien planet. Maybe it's style, maybe it's lyrics, maybe it's all of the above. You listen to your kid's music and you're like, what is that? And that's the day <laughs> you know that you're old. So what do we do when we hate our kids' music? Do we ban it? Do we ask them to turn it down? Do we try to talk about our concerns about lyrics with them? Well, today, that's what we're going to be talking about in our first segment. And Bob Hoos and Jonathan McKee are here with me for that conversation. And in our second segment, Bob Hoos is going to fill us in on a recent news story about a girl who experienced something pretty terrible in a virtual world. And what do we as parents need to know about some of the emerging threats that are happening online, not just with interacting with people in a more traditional way, but in multiverse and virtual kind of environments? What what do we need to be thinking about there in terms of protecting our kids? Well, before we dig into those conversations today, just a reminder that The Plugged In Show is a production of Focus on the Family. We are a donor-supported ministry. If you enjoy our conversations each week, and we certainly hope that you do, we would love it if you'd make a donation to help us keep bringing you The Plugged In Show each week and make sure you subscribe to the plugged in show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about us too. And in terms of making a donation, you can find information about how to do that in the episode notes for today's show. Well, with no further ado, hey gentlemen, I'm glad you're with us today. Hello. Glad to be here. So we're going to be talking about the generation gap as it relates to music. And I want you to rewind the tape. Do you recall ever fighting or arguing with your parents about music you liked that they didn't understand and and what was that experience like well for me i was sort of an oddball kid yeah to be honest and when i was younger i i liked classical music and so did your parents hate so, that no my parents were all on board <laughs> in fact my mother signed me up for a at that time there were record clubs you know uh-huh. where, where you'd get a record each like, month yeah yeah and like she the sa- columbia record and tape yeah, club yeah, yeah. she yeah. signed just me record up club. i was getting uh, all these records coming in all the time but but actually it changed a little bit when i heard an album it was a beatle album uh-huh and and I, which one I, I think it was abbey road okay pretty sure anyway um I instantly became a Beatles fan. Yeah. And I was playing Beatles all the time. And m- my parents never really verbally complained about it, but I could tell that it, it was a shift for them. You know, right. I, I, I remember... I don't no know, more Mozart. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you ever no more saw Chopin. the uh, the, uh, the James Bond movie where I think it was Goldfinger or something like that, where 
He's he's and now we could call it old finger. Yeah, he's talking about <laughs> he's talking about the Beatles, and he's talking about having to wear earmuffs to a concert, and that and that was generally the attitude of the Beatles about That's the Beatles in, in the older generation at the time. Yeah, uh, you know, just of course compared to today's music, they right? Were, they were symphonic. Right. <laughs> That's funny. I love that story. You know how your parents weren't sure what they thought of the Beatles. Because there were a lot of parents yeah, yeah. who weren't sure what they thought of the Beatles. And really, when we're talking about the generation gap, that's an idea that we maybe take for granted now. But even the idea, the conception of a teenager as a sort of thing, as a, you know, this is a specific period in life, that didn't even really exist before World War II. That when, was a post-World War II sort of thing. You know, when you said that yeah. at the top, uh, I was wondering if that, how, how do you know that's true? Well, before that, we were in such an industrial society that basically kids had to grow up faster. Oh, yeah. And so the post-war time with, you know, the big bands leading into the emergence of rock and roll coincided with cultural shifts. Yep, well, that, that makes perfect sense. That all of a sudden, this idea of teenagers as a, a consumption group. I mean, that's the other thing that happened was yeah. it emerged in part because you had these companies realizing, aha, there's a market here. Right. And so mm-hmm. there was that emergence of all of a sudden the young people and the old people are not on the same page anymore. Whereas really prior to World War II, and I'm generalizing, yeah. you know, you can find exceptions to this. The idea of a teenager as we think of it today didn't really exist. Makes sense. Jonathan, what about you? Did you have wars with your parents over, over music? <laughs> oh my goodness. It's funny though. Uh, I, Bob, as you share about classical music, uh, I don't know if you guys do Spotify, but Spotify sends you an annual report on your music listening. And I got my annual report a couple of weeks ago. And I always am so curious because it tells you who you like, what you listen to most, how much music you listen to, all that kind of stuff. And it was funny because my it gives you your top five artists you listen to. And the top four were country. And my fifth most uh, artist I listened to the most was Chopin. So nice. you're be slightly proud of me. So to, you but, can uh, offset the country a little bit, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. That's right. But um, but no, it was interesting uh, growing up in a house. Uh, and some of our listeners will remember, oh, episodes and episodes ago, talking a little bit about this. There, Some of the tension in my house because I was a pastor's kid. And my dad, I at time, I felt like, uh, when we became teenagers, some of the pressure he had on parenting was not so much of necessarily what he thought was necessarily best for us. I'm not throwing him under the bus here, but he, in compassion, he had this immense pressure that whatever he allowed us to do, there was pressure that all the other parents were like, well, he lets his kids do that. So sure, he felt sure. like he was making the decision for a congregation. He was setting policy for your congregation. Yeah, exactly. And so he, at times, I think, felt the pressure of, if I do this, then everybody's going to say, well, why'd you do that for, you know, for Tom and John and stuff? So um, I, I, didn't, I didn't fight on the music thing, but my brother, and he would probably be comfortable with me sharing this, but he really... <laughs> Did and it was funny how much for him it was the shirts he wore. Yeah. He wanted to wear a yes shirt. Yeah, um, you know, and you know, yes, they're 
just terrible. No, right. You know, it's just a secular band. I mean, that's it. I mean, yes, yes is probably as innocent as he get, you know, but he wanted to wear a yes shirt. And I remember a battle ensuing in our house hmm. about this yes shirt. And I remember him then sneaking and wearing, you know, going to school and changing into the yes shirt and stuff. Cause I would, I would see all this stuff cause I rode to school with him, you know, and he's like, don't tell him, you know? So yeah, there was the battle. And I, it's funny cause I hear parents, you know, now facing that battle with, you know, oh, you can't wear makeup yet, you know, to, to their girls and the girls sneaking out, putting on makeup, then taking it off before they get home, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, that's what it was with my brother for musical shirts because hmm. he wasn't allowed to wear the yes shirt. So that's that's the thing that came to mind for me. That's awesome. Well, I didn't have a lot of conflict with my parents, you know, despite asking this question. Uh, my dad was a huge Neil Diamond and Beach Boys fan. So mm. I went to my first concert <laughs> The Beach Boys when I was four. Um, and I still love both Neil Diamond uh, and the Beach Boys to this day. But by the time I was a teenager, my parents had two young children and they were sort of just checked out. Hmm. Um, and I was in the basement where my bedroom was and I had stolen my dad's, you guys will love this, ginormous headphones. They were Morant's headphones. They were white <laughs> oh, yeah. with a curly cord from the 70s. And oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish that you could purchase headphones as good these days as mm -hmm. I'm sure the ones in the 70s were. Um, but music was my escape. And it was, uh, I would spend hours and hours and hours, uh, we'll say, caterwauling in the basement, singing and singing and singing. I sung my emotions out. And mm. In retrospect, um, my parents never really engaged very much with that. And I wish they would have perhaps asked me, what are you connecting with here? Um, but these days, my own children uh, are in a similar place. And we're going to talk about that uh, in, in just a minute. And, and I'm going to digress here into a tangent that is truly a tangent that is wholly and completely unrelated to what we're talking about today. But when you were talking about your Spotify sort of report for the year, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. this isn't quite a full podcast on its own, but I got my, my Starbucks report for the year <laughs> and they told me all the drinks I had and about my personality. And I just, oh, really? I just think it's really interesting. And again, this is truly a tangent that, um, you know, everything we do, you know, consumer wise, somebody is watching us right. and yeah, trying yeah. to, to tell us about yeah. how that yeah. relates to our, our identity. Okay. And now back to our regularly scheduled <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> so music, you know, this is an area where I think we can have an opportunity for connection, but it's hard to connect sometimes with our kids if we're listening to something and we're like, what in the world is going yeah. on here? And so let me just start with this really overarching question. Why do you think conflicts with our kids when it comes to differing musical tastes can tend to be so emotionally charged? That's a good question. I, I Thank you. <laughs> I, th I, think, I think because music is one of those genres of media that, mm -hmm. um, that is constantly reinforced. Uh, in other words, you, when you pick, when you listen to music, you don't listen to a song once. You listen to it ten times, fifty times, a hundred times if you really like it. Right. You know, or it's, thousands of times. And Spotify will tell you how many yeah, times. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, exactly. it's, it's playing over and over and over and over and over in your ear, and it does two things. Yeah. One, it connects you, I think, to the band or the music, but it also 
sort of normalizes some sort of idea. Yeah. And in a way, I I think that's probably what creates those emotional turmoil when we're dealing with somebody saying, no, you can't listen to that, because we, we connect with it so much. Uh, I, but I'm wondering, though, in your opinion, yeah. do you think that is still as true today? And, and the reason I ask that... Because I, I believe that that in general is very true. Yeah. But the reason I ask is today is so different. It, it, yesterday, whenever we loved a band, mm-hmm. okay, we went out and we bought their albums. We had right. to invest money in everything they created, and then we'd play it on our record player or our CD player or whatever. Yeah. These days, though, it's all digital, and so we've got so many sources that can feed us anything. Yep. And it's so diverse. So are we still as connected, do you think? Well, I think so. And I have a small sample size of three, right? I can really only talk about my kids' experience. The interesting thing is, yes, there is the digital connection. And, you know, my daughter was talking to me about what came up on her Spotify report for the year. And, you know, Mm. she was sad that she had only listened to her favorite Taylor Swift song 8,600 times when one of her best friends had listened to it 21,000 times. And let's, let's stop (laughs) and take a moment to process. Yes, indeed. That right. Um, But interestingly, I think that there still is that powerful sense of identification. We go to concerts and we get concert t-shirts and we wear them, you know, proudly. And strangely enough, my son now has more vinyl than I ever had in the seventies and eighties. And actually one of the Mm. main things, both two of my kids now have record players in their rooms Mm. and they love buying vinyl. And if you look at just this last week, the vinyl chart, it was all Taylor Swift, right? I mean, these girls are buying, they're buying records. So I, I actually think it's both. And, I think yeah, that, that there is the Spotify, there is the digital single phenomena, but I think even Taylor Swift, and this is not meant to be just a, a podcast about Taylor Swift because we've talked about her in the past, but yeah, yeah. I think she has almost single-handedly revived the idea of an album, mm-hmm. right? You know, kids yeah, listen yeah. to her albums. It's like, oh, I like this one. I don't like that one. So... I think it's both and to answer your well, question. And, and kids that make the jump to vinyl um, are going to be a different type of listener. And you think of when Common Sense Media does their uh, reports every year about, and it's not every year, every handful of years about entertainment media consumption. They'll talk about certain, you know, kids who like are video game kids versus music kids. Yep. Versus, you know, mm-hmm. movie, and, and there's kids that definitely like certain, you know, uh, some kids that are glued way more to social media than others. Yep. And the kid that is that music kid who takes the step to go vinyl, that's a commitment, you know, because yeah. now all of a sudden you're, you're, and the other thing is when you're laying on the ground listening to vinyl and your song finishes, it's a commitment to get up right. and go over to it and skip a song. Right. And this generation loves to skip songs and make playlists and whatever. Vinyl is going to immediately make you all of a sudden listen to albums more. Yeah. Because yeah. of sheer laziness. Too much you don't want to have to yeah. yeah, you don't want to have to get up and move the needle. Yeah. And it's not saying they won't, but I'm just saying vinyl is going to make, you know, Bob asks, do kids even listen to albums anymore? 
that's going to make you listen to the album. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, another fascinating thing is, uh, you know, my experience with young people, of course, raising my own kids, but then also uh, doing school assemblies and speaking at camps and all this kind of stuff. Uh, when I would do school assemblies, often I would talk, whatever subject I was talking about, I would always go to music because I know music is a connection point with young people. And it was interesting because I remember actually talking to young people uh, uh, about uh, their decisions with sex. And um, and this is a secular, you know, the, uh, school brings me in to talk with them about, you know, uh, being safe and all that kind of stuff. And and for some reason they decided to bring me in. And it was funny, so I-, I um, Cause you're nothing, uh, you're not safe at all, Jonathan. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I'm i like, I've had three kids. I don't even know, understand birth control. But, but the thing was, uh, they, as I would uh, talk with them about this, one thing I would use is music a lot. And it was funny. One thing I'd, I often would do is take kind of the top songs of the day. And then I was kind of use that as a point to talk about it uh, as a springboard. But it was interesting because I would always just play little clips of songs. And something that was always fascinating is when I was done with a clip, I would hit like the pause button or it'd fade out and something always happened. Cause I was playing the top stuff. I mean, I was playing something that was like number two at the time or number four at the time. When I hit the pause button, what do you think happened with the audience? Well, the kids probably kept singing. If they kept you, singing. If you were pausing in the middle of a song. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would pause in the middle of a song and they would keep singing. And it was funny because with Christian kids, they're always like, well, I don't listen to the you know words, you know, stuff like that. I would pause it and they keep going. I'm like, oh, and of course you guys don't know the lyrics, you know? And it was mm -hmm. just one of those things where it definitely, we see a generation of, I mean, if you watch New Year's, uh, some of the concerts that were going on as we were waiting for that New York, you know, the, for, for the ball to drop and all that, you saw whenever somebody was playing, what's everybody doing in, in the audience? They're singing along. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it definitely is one of these things, you know, where, where kids who are like, oh, I don't know if I can memorize a Bible verse, but yet they know 30 songs <laughs> word for word right. all the way through. Music is very powerful in that way. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, Bob, back to your question, one of the things that we have discovered as a family is that different families have different um, standards in this area. Sure. And, and we, in part, I think because of, of how I grew up listening to secular music at one point, throwing it all away literally for mm -hmm. years and then, you know, moving back into it, we have not had a hard and fast. You can only listen to Christian music um, rule in our house, but we have a number of friends that that is their rule. Mm -hmm. And they, I think, I think the more you as a parent are setting those really firm and, you know, maybe strict boundaries, the more this may be an area of conflict. Right. Um, right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, yeah. and that's not, that's not a bad thing. I'm not even trying to say we're doing it the right way. No. I'm just saying that those battles are going to come up. I would agree. I, th I think one of the things that parents these days have to come to grips with is that it's almost impossible to control everything your child consumes. Yep. It's, there's so much of it, and it's coming at, at them from every direction and from every, uh, lots of sources outside of your home. Yep. It's very difficult for you to say, thou shalt not, right. and, and believe that that's the way it's going to be. Yep. You know, I... We've talked about this over and over and over, and I think it really comes down to that relationship connection on every form of media. Yep. And it applies here to music, too. It, are there ways that we as parents 
can connect with our kids with the kind of music that they're already listening to so that we can have inroads into talking about that music. Right. Very much like what Jonathan was just discussing, you know, when he goes to a, a big conference. How do you connect with kids and get them to think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that really does come down to parents being open enough to at least listen. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one time with my youngest daughter, she was listening to uh, a group in the car and I was listening along, obviously, because I'm driving. And I thought, oh, this is really catchy. I like this. It was a group called OK Go. It's uh-huh. uh, from early 2000s. Yep. Yeah. But we started talking about it. And I was talking about the things that I liked about it and, I, and, and about the way the musical turns and the different things that they were doing. And next thing you know, this became sort of a touchstone between the two of us. Yeah. Where we could talk about music more readily because we had talked about this music. In fact, we even went to a concert together of OK Go, we went, a live concert in Denver. And they're really good. They're excellent. Yeah. But see, and you were talking about concerts earlier and about even when your dad took you to concerts with yeah. the Beach Boys or whatever. I think those opportunities, those moments are really important because they can give you that connection point, that inroad to be able to talk about something rather than slamming your fist on the table. Yep. We, we would do uh, something kind of interesting and we had a lot of road trips and maybe it was because that was my job was being on the road, but it seemed like several times, I mean, most families have vacations, that kind of stuff. And when we'd go to visit my wife's parents in Arizona, it was like a 14 hour drive and we chose to do that rather than try to buy five plane tickets. And so <laughs> when we would do that drive, it was always like, oh, the 14 hour drive. And that was, you know, at least once a year. And so on that drive and many others, one thing we did, um, especially when the kids were younger, they really kind of dug into this more as they got older, kind of, they probably tired of it. But we uh, said, hey, everybody create a playlist. I, it, the age of my kids, it was burning CDs back then. Yeah. But literally they would create a playlist in their iTunes. Dad, what's a CD? And, <laughs> yeah. And they would burn a CD and we're like, okay, Ashley's CD. Okay. Alyssa's CD, you know, and, and it was fun. And we, and then Lori and I got the burn one as well, you know, and it was kind of fun because I remember Lori, it was a glimpse into her high school. And to this day, my daughter's like to listen to my wife's run CD, her yep. exercise CD. And uh, it brings back to songs from Footloose and, you know, uh, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff and Danger Zone and d- different stuff, you know. Um, and so it was a bonding thing. It was a connection point. We kind of got a peek into their world. They got a peek into our world. It was a chance for everyone to have a little stage there in the car on the road to Arizona um, listening to, oh, wow, you like that song. It's a unique song. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have talked about in the past that as we deal with entertainment, there are two sort of poles that that shape our interaction. And scripture says that Jesus came in grace and truth, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that most of us in terms of our parenting style, some people are really balanced, but most of us are going to lean more one way than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'm probably on the grace end of the spectrum, which means that our parenting style may be more permissive than some of our Christian friends who I would say are more on the truth end of the spectrum. And I think it's important to recognize where you're at mm-hmm. because that means you may have to work intentionally a little bit harder to emphasize the other side of things. So, you know, for example, uh, as you may have gathered, 
we're Taylor Swift fans in our house. Now, when I say fans, I, I'm not saying it's a green light for everything she's done because she's got some stuff that's that's problematic. Um, and I don't like all of it. There are messages there that I think are problematic. Um, we talk about it a lot. So my attempt to balance the grace side that I naturally lean toward is, okay, we're going to listen to this. But we're also going to stop and talk about the decisions we hear her making. We're going to talk about her values. And literally, oh, my, yeah. my daughter's eyes almost roll clean out of their heads when I push the pause button and say, hey, let's talk about the lyrics we just sang. And on the flip side, um, my middle daughter is at a new school this year, and I drive her to school every day. And we put Taylor Swift on and sing at the top of our lungs on the way to school every day. Mm-hmm. And we even have a game that we turn it up so loud that we try to get other drivers at stoplights to look at us. And we're just, <laughs> we have so much fun, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so there is that idea of a shared experience. And I think there's not necessarily a, a one size fits all answer there. Okay. Let me ask you a question though. Since yeah. you're dealing with, with kids in this age group, uh, what about things because you, you were just mentioning Taylor Swift. Yes. Okay. Taylor Swift tends to land fairly center of the road, you know? Yeah. But you've got- Comparatively. S- yeah. You've got some music that's way out there on the edge. Like, yeah. Like, for example, in my, my personal opinion, I can't stand rap. Yeah. I mean, rap of, <laughs> oftentimes is like porn with a heavy beat. Yeah. You know, I, it's it's got all this- nasty language and and crude references and misogyny and all the other stuff right. built in there. So what do you think a parent does when your kid really digs that kind of music? Well, I have lots of thoughts, but I'm going to defer to Jonathan before I share them. <laughs> Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's hard because definitely some genres, I would say, are worse than others. Yeah. And being an admitted country fan, there's times I, I especially listen to, <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason I work in the yard and I love my yard. My plants and my trees are my babies. So I, I go out all the time and I will like trim. As a matter of fact, I'm actually looking forward to this week trimming. I can't because I once a year I get to go out and really so what do you trim listen to, Jonathan? Dormant. And when I go out there, I listen to country music. And whenever I come in, I always tell my wife the same thing. I'm like, man, I tell you, uh, most of these songs are about drinking. You know, and it's just, (laughs) Bob's right. They're definitely, it's not as explicit. I mean, sometimes with hip hop, you definitely will get to, you know, your anatomy and describing exactly what you're doing. But it's funny how country music is very much just kind of like, I was lonely, so I went and I drank my problems away, you know, and woohoo, it was so fun, you know, and that's a very damaging message as well, you know. Right. So it is tough because on those, you know, if you go on a family trip and said, bring your playlist, your kid's probably probably not going to include a lot of, you know, Cardi B or, you know, Doja Cat or, you know, whatever, the very explicit stuff. Um, So that is tough when you get to that. There's going to be those conversations where, you know, is this appropriate? But Bob, to your earlier point, we can't control it all. And I think a lot of parents right. don't realize that. They think, I'm going to put these blocks. I'm going to put these settings. Well, where are you going to block them from going to their friend's house? You know, because they're all going to go to their friend's house and listen to it. And that's where some really good parental controls like, uh, you know, no screens at certain times at night can really help. Something else that we did, and this was interesting, instead of fighting the, I think it's, instead of trying to um, control so much of, of there's so many things to say no to is giving your kids stuff to say yes to. 
And something, and, and honestly, we've kind of debated about this back and forth, but something that we did in our house that we ourselves who like secular music um, did is we said for the first hour when you get up and for the uh, last hour before you go to bed at night, um, it's worship music. I said, mm. then during the day, you guys make the call. So when they were mm. teenagers, we got to the point where we stopped fighting the battles on what they listened to. But we, as a family, agreed that when we got up and we went to bed, it was worship music. And it's interesting. I feel like the kids, I feel like that actually worked with them, resonated with them because the relationship with God was important to them. And when they had that discipline of, I'm going to focus on God, uh, I feel like, you know, it, we had some good conversations about that. Yeah. And we weren't able to control every single thing they listened to, but it, it did something. It feels like it. If nothing else, it gave them a, a good, strong contrast so they could hear two different types of music, two different types of messages. And that I, I like that idea yep. uh, if parents like you know, jive with it, because the idea is that it's, as, you know, as we've said, music over and over drives home a message, yep. uh, whether it's a secular message, Christian message, whatever. And if you can put those side by side, it seems to me that kids can say, well, okay, so how does this fit in my world, in my right. life? Those two conflicting messages, where do, how does it work for me? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and I think to answer your question and to build on what Jonathan was saying, I think that when our kids are younger and if we have kids that are particularly impressionable or suggestible, our responsibility as parents, I think, really is to say no. Like, I yep. think there is a time to say, you know, that's really inappropriate. I know all your friends are watching it or listening to it, but we as our family are not going to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think as they get into their teen years, we're we're giving them an opportunity to make some of those choices even as we keep the the lines of communication open. And so my son is 17 now and he has drifted into some stuff recently that sets my teeth on edge. And it's growly, you know, cookie monster rock, the hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even I understand. It. Like I am officially old. I'm like, all right, you finally picked music that I don't get <laughs> at all. Um, and it's like, you know, drop tune to the depths of Hades and he plays his guitar and the entire house <laughs> shakes like an earthquake while this demonic voice, my, my wife literally said, she says like, that sounds demonic. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it kind of does. Yeah. But, yeah. You In, know. Any music that's used to actually torture people, I think, yeah. you know, um, but I also think what we have tried to do is we've given them more agency is to say. Why are you attracted to that? You know, what is it that you're connecting with? How are you responding emotionally? And how is it influencing you emotionally? Because I think music more than almost any other thing becomes this cathartic outlet, right? Like even a movie, you may feel good. You may, you know, go see Top Gun and you, you know, you get your adrenaline up, but the movie's over, right? Yeah. And maybe you see it a couple times, but with music, you're processing it as we've talked yeah. about over and over again. And so understanding what our kids are identifying with and then flipping the script a little bit and saying, how do you think that's influencing you? Yeah. So what we're doing is that we're equipping them to evaluate themselves right. as opposed to saying, that's garbage. You can't listen to like, by the time your kids are 16, 17, 18, 
they're probably going to listen to it as Jonathan was saying, whether you have strict rules or not. Yeah. So I would rather have them thinking critically well, and biblically than trying to set those firm boundaries. It's that question when yeah. you're raising the question and you're getting them to ask themselves the question. I think that really makes a big difference because you're absolutely right. There are, there are so many things in secular music that normalize elements of society that we don't necessarily want normalized or right. that we don't agree with. Right. And, uh, and so raising the question uh, for them to ask themselves, what do I think about this? I think that's very, very powerful. Well, guys, I think this has been a terrific conversation. I hope as you have listened today that there's been something here that's been a touch point for you too, maybe encouraging you, maybe giving you a new idea. Music remains, even in our completely fragmented media environment, I think a huge influence and and even retro influences as we were talking about, you know, kids yeah. kids buying vinyl. Like my kids yeah. are asking for records for Christmas. What decade awesome. are we living in? <laughs> um, but I hope that that you have heard us try to think thoughtfully about where do we set those boundaries? When do we say no? When do we give them the opportunity to uh, to engage? But I think most importantly, whether we're saying yes or no or somewhere in between, how do we continue to build those relationships with our kids? Because I think, you know, when we get into that combative place, um, that's a hard place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I hope that this has been an encouraging conversation for you today, just in in terms of this area in your life. And, and I would say on a broader note, this is one of the reasons that, that plugged in exists. We want to give you the information you need so that you can enter into those conversations. You know, when that cookie monster album is out, what are they actually saying? Cause it sounds like he's gargling glass. Um, (laughs) Hopefully you can come to plugged in and and get some of that information and, and even learn about, these bands and you may not like them, but being able to show your kids, you know what? I care enough to understand what's happening and I want to connect with your world. That is what we want to do at Plugged In, really equipping you to not only make wise decisions, but to engage relationally with your kids. Thanks, gentlemen. You bet. Well, in our second segment, we are going to shift entertainment gears a little bit and and just talk about the metaverse and we're not talking right. about it you know in a a broad way although we'll probably have some broad observations but mm-hmm. there was a story recently about uh, a young woman who had something happen to her in the metaverse that I think is it's an important story because I think it's it really illustrates some things that are happening that we need to be aware of as parents yeah. Bob tell us about that well it was actually a young teen okay too. Young I teen. mean okay. This, this young girl was uh, she's under 16. Okay. Because of that, they actually gave us pretty limited details of what actually happened. But um, the story is that she was assaulted uh, in in the uh, in the metaverse horizon worlds, which okay. is Facebook slash Meta's. Uh, Their virtual reality. Yeah, virtual reality place, and uh, and they called it. They actually called it rape. Wow. Which is That's a pretty crazy. strong term, especially since yeah. you you can't even create avatars in that world that are that specific. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what. But, um, but uh, actually, the same sort of thing happened to uh, like a forty-two-year-old woman 
um, a year ago or so. Okay. Uh, and she did detail. She talked about it, and she was talking about how these male avatars approached her and, you know, with their male voices and said all kinds of really nasty, crude things And while, while their avatars groped her avatar. Okay, so if you want to classify that as, well, one way or the other, it's assault. Yeah. It's something that's happening on these in these worlds and these these places are created let's face it the horizon worlds was created as this entertainment park this place where you could go where they created their own worlds and they created all these different games and you were supposed to be able to go there and have fun like a a virtual reality utopia yeah and when it crosses Except over, it's not yes when exactly. that happens when these things happen uh then all of a sudden people sit up and say oh wait you mean bad things can happen here too? Yeah, and they can. Uh, now, now Meta has gone to extremes, at least in their mind, to try and set up safety functions. Yeah, but here's the difference: the, when Facebook looks at something you post, they've got this algorithm that erases something if it's you know racist or or you know Somehow hurtful offensive. or offensive or misinformation. Even right, they'll just erase it. But in this world. What they've done is they've sort of supplied tools that they hope will empower people to protect themselves. Hmm. The problem is when you start getting it with these younger kids. Now, Horizon Worlds, for example, used to be 18 plus. You had to be at least 18 to be on it yeah. and, and to use it. But they were finding that there were all these kids doing it anyway. Right. Because you could go in and lie about how old you were. And, right. And you just get in there. Right. Which is the problem with social media across exactly. the board. Exactly. So you, anytime you went in there, there were still kids all over the place. So they went ahead and they lowered the age range to 13. Mm. But can 13-year-olds effectively use these protection tools you know, like I mean, what does it even mean? Do they have mace or? Well, I mean... <laughs> no, no. They've got like, for example, after that first assault happened with the forty-two-year-old woman, they put into effect these uh, personal zones, basically where you could set it up. If you click it on, uh, no one can come within four feet of you. Of your avatar. Of your avatar. Yeah. So, and there were things like that. Uh, there were uh, little safety features, like you could blur out strangers. Uh, you could you could uh, affect their voices so you don't hear them, things like that. But you have to actually apply those tools. You have okay. to actually turn them on. And if you're a little kid, a young teen, and you're there doing your thing and having fun, and you haven't applied any of those, and all of a sudden something like this happens, well, what do you do? Well, as so often it just ends up being this this emotional situation, right. that, and you're caught. Right. You know? Well, and even though it was virtual... With this younger girl, you know, the report that, that I read basically said they're trying to figure out legally, yeah. like, does a virtual assault constitute, on a minor, constitute something criminal? I mean, we're in uncharted territory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, two things. And first, I want to get to the thing about the assault because the answer there is it's no surprise. We're consistently inconsistent. But right. let me address, you asked a very specific question, Bob. You said, at what age? Yeah. At what age can they actually make these decisions? Well, first of all, they're not even supposed to be on social media if they're less than 13. But even the 13-year-old, I find it interesting when TikTok, gosh, it was over a year ago now, but they made some changes because there was like 
you know, predators out there, you know, uh, sending DMs to young people, inappropriate stuff. And so they raised the age at which you could get a DM to like 16. It wasn't automatically turned on anymore. You would have to go in and physically turn it on. And, And the thing I always find fascinating, the thing at my parent workshops that I always do is I'd say, hey, parents, if TikTok is raising this age to 16 and this age to 17, and you could see what age they allow certain things. They're like, what does this tell you about what age they are saying young people are actually able to make some of these decisions. And this is TikTok. Yeah. They're probably erring on the side of let's let them make this. So, so that's a fascinating thing that, you know, should 13 year olds be making decisions about safety and about how to, you know, uh, handle when a predator is talking to you inappropriately? Should 13 year olds be able to navigate that by themselves? Should they be able to peruse the red light district on their own at age 13? Right. I think we're finding that that's not true. The other fascinating thing that we're talking about here is our inconsistency. Um, I didn't even find it surprising when I when I read this. I yeah. didn't find it at all. I mean, we got young people are so used to like you know if you play you know GTA, you play any Grand Theft Auto game. Right. This is what you do. You beat a girl down and 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 you do all kinds of stuff that we aren't even getting the details, but right. you can read the reviews. And we're going to be having and, that conversation again because Grand Theft Auto Six is coming out coming later out this soon. year. So yeah, yeah. we'll yeah. circle and, back and to that. It will be the most po- if it's like the others. Yep. It'll be the most popular video game sold, bought by grandmas for little grandsons. And then at the same time, we go. <gasps> But you would do this to a girl. This is inappropriate. It's it's completely inconsistent. And we do this all the time. We have Me Too movement. People sitting there saying, how could you talk to us like that? And then listening to an album where they talk to you like that. Right. And I'm just yeah. saying, it, let's be consistent. I'm not even, I'm not knocking Me Too. I'm just saying, let's be consistent. Let's be across the board. If you don't like this, how come we're listening? It's okay to listen to it in the music, but then it's not okay to... Wait, talk about it, but wait, it's okay to play in this video game, but it's not okay to play it here? I, I don't understand. Yeah, that's very true. And also, I want to say that, um, you know, we're talking about Horizon Worlds, which is a meta yeah. existence thing, but it's not just that. Right. You know, there you can you can run into this in just about any, any metaverse right. thing out there when you're in VR world. Um, for example... Uh, in VR chat, which is another one of those uh, meta entities, um, th- there was an organiz- a nonprofit organization, I was reading about it, who went in and cataloged 11 and a half hours just doing these virtual chats. And within those 11 and a half hours, they saw all these infractions to the rules. Yeah. You know, there was all this misogynistic content and some sexual content. In fact, there was an infraction every seven minutes. Wow. Every seven minutes for 11 and a half hours, they were running into some kind of infringement of the rules. And so I think we, as Jonathan was saying, uh, we have to recognize that in all of these things, very often it will fall to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. You know, we get down into the these human traits to be kind of nasty. Yep. And especially when we think we're hidden behind some sort of a well, virtual reality. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I think I want yeah. to circle yeah. back to the Grand Theft Auto observation. You know, that's a game in which you can, you know, rape and use and murder prostitutes. And if you have spent the last however many years since that game came out doing that virtually you probably don't see any difference between that game and doing it in 
a meta or a virtual environment. Right. But the difference is, in this case, there was a young girl connected to real people. You know, on the receiving end of that, it right. wasn't just you know somebody's pixelated creation in a fictional environment, but that ability to distinguish between reality and you know entertainment the medium works against you in that right i mean it right. all feels like a video game but in this case it's not just a video game and i think in terms of how we're we're dealing with it with our kids i don't think it means we necessarily say well you can't do any of it but right. i think that at the point in which our kids have the maturity and and you know the age to be able to enter into it we have got to be equipping them with, you know, the same kind of things as like if you go to a movie with your friend, right. keep your eyes open, and, right? And like we, that you have to use that same kind of discernment in the virtual reality world. And we have to plug in ourselves. Absolutely. As parents. Absolutely. For example, in Horizon Worlds, there are uh, parental supervision tools hmm. and you can go in and you can actually watch your child or young person you know, playing in this world and what they do. You can watch it. You can actually put the filters on for them. Hmm. If you have parental controls. And so all of those things, I'm not saying that's the that's the cure all. Right. But I'm saying if you're going to allow your children to be a part of this, then you need to invest yourself and find out what you can do and what tools you can use. I love that, Bob. And I think that's a great place to stick the landing on our conversation today. You bet. Thanks. Well, now it's time for a segment we call Name That Movie, wherein we each give each other a fun kind of clue, a sentence or two, and the rest of us have to guess which movie we are talking about. So do I have any volunteers or do I want to pick sure, somebody? Sure, I'll start. Okay, thanks, and Bob. Be, I always like to go first because then then I know you're not using the same movie. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so a struggling artist hits his head, wakes up, and finds that the world has changed and he has a catalog of wonderful music that he can claim as his own. Oh, I know this movie, but I can't yesterday? remember the name of it. Yes, yeah, yesterday. it's yesterday. Yesterday, it was go so good. Oh my yeah, because he all of a sudden he becomes the Beatles. Yeah, well, right? he plays a Beatles song, and no, nobody's yeah. nobody, ever heard it. Nobody knows. <laughs> and, and that and that scene was so powerful when he plays yesterday for the first time, yeah. and they look and they're like, "That's just beautiful." When I actually heard him singing it. I literally almost was in tears. I'm like, wow, that is such a beautiful song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the writing is just incredible. Well, and it's funny because he was, he was sort of mediocre beforehand. And right. then all of a sudden they say, when did you write that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Jonathan, right. what you got for us? Two teens seek answers from the biggest influencers in history. Only discover they will be the biggest influencers in history. Oh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. All right. We are on a roll today. Yes, indeed. Well, I I always, you know, I don't want to twist anybody's brain too hard. So I think you'll be able to get mine. Well, I'm wondering how you're going to incorporate music into Star Wars. That's what I'm. Well, (laughs) it's a good bar. It's a good question. You know, if you want to have a good time, there are you can go on and watch certain Star Wars scenes without the music, and they're really different. I bet. But that's not oh, where yeah. I'm going today. <laughs> so a young man with some crazy dance moves and a lot of anger shows up in a small town and falls in love 
with a pastor's daughter. Will he be able to get out of this religious <laughs> danger zone Footloose. with the girl? Yeah, it's loose. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's right. Funny. I kept going. <laughs> I know. I was all. I didn't want to interrupt. Waiting I didn't for you to stop. Well, I love that you talked earlier and you mentioned both Footloose and Danger Zone. So I'm like, oh, good. We'll just circle we'll right just around to, to that. Well, thanks guys for another fun edition of Name That Movie. And thanks for joining our conversation today. As always, we hope that uh, that we've given you something to think about today in terms of your family and your entertainment and technology choices that you're making or maybe struggling with. And we would love to hear what you think about our conversations today. Have you fought any battles over music with your kids? And how did you navigate that conflict? And for that matter, how are you navigating these virtual online realities? Do you have kids that are interested in that? What are your stories? Here's how you can let us know what you think. If you go to thepluggedinshow.com, you can leave us a voicemail with your answer to those questions, and we might just include it on a future show, or you can reach out to us at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And I'd also like to let you know that today for a gift of any amount, we will send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, Parenting Generation Screen. And you can find information on how to do that in the episode notes for today's show. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at The Plugged In Show this week. We know you have lots of ways that you could spend your time. In fact, it feels like there are more almost every day. So we are honored to be able to share some time and some conversation with you. And we look forward to joining you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. and full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.